Welcome to the ultimate crowdsourced personal finance show. This is your Friday Roundup. You're listening to Choose FI Radio. The blueprint for financial independence lives here. If you're looking to unlock the secrets to financial independence and early retirement, you're in the right place. Stay tuned and join a community of like-minded people who are getting off the hamster wheel and taking control of their lives in the pursuit of financial independence. Choose FI, your home for financial independence online. All right, on today's episode, we get the opportunity to discuss our takeaways from the episode that we recorded with Nick Truff from Mapped Out Money. And to help me with this, I have my co-host Brad here with me today. How you doing, buddy? Hey, Jonathan, I am doing quite well. Yeah, this was a great episode with Nick. It's going to be fun to dive into it. And just one thing jumped out to me that I can't help but say is he just did it. What a cool way to go through life. So yeah, we're going to talk at length. But yeah, what's going on in your world? Well, probably the biggest thing, man, is I was, uh, we recently recorded an episode with Pete Matthews from Meaningful Money. One thing that he embedded in that statement that really has just been sitting with me for the last couple of weeks is how he recently went to a financial planning conference where they, at that conference, they told the audience, which is a room full of financial planners, that they needed to start preparing to be able to talk to people about how to reach financial independence. In front of a room of financial planners. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it, it seems to me, and and we've believed this for the last couple of years, but it's finally truly coming to fruition that personal finance is becoming FI. As you say, personal finance is pretty boring. It's usually listicles of what are the top seven things you could do today to save $2.50. Whereas FI is a framework on life. That's what people are looking for. Yeah. And I think this is really, I wanted to spend a few minutes talking about this. One, the why of this, and two what it practically means for our community that this is actually out there. So I have like kind of three or four kind of talking points in mind for this. And the first thing I wanted to start with is what you just talked about, how FI is more than personal finance, personal finance. I'm not saying you're wrong. (laughs) I would never call anything a listicle. I'd never do that. (laughs) No, um, I've never used that word in my entire life until now, but I'm channeling my inner Jonathan. Can we get an urban dictionary uh, (laughs) definition on this? (laughs) I think there's two aspects to that. One is that FI creates a framework, as you said. It's something that you feel like instead of just playing defense to protect this long-term future self, like 65 and beyond, like I think all of us, when we're having a personal finance conversation says, yeah, I'll be there eventually, but one, will it really matter? And two, will it really work? It's all just theory. I think if you can tie it to a framework and if you can tie it to a intermediate time period visualize making decisions now that your 10-year future self will appreciate, your five-year future self will appreciate, your next year future self will appreciate. I think it allows you to suddenly be engaged in the conversation. And especially if you can see, and we have this ability to demonstrate how your peer group, everyone around you is hopefully increasingly doing this, that FOMO kind of sweep comes into place. And you're like, well, I don't want to be left behind. I see it. I've got the fi bug. <laughs> I want to do this. I don't I don't I don't want to not do this. So, that's one. Two, for financial planners increasingly, there are benefits obviously if they can speak to people that are on the path to financial independence, that's super helpful, but I think you're going to see tertiary benefits for everyone else as well. If right now financial planners have trouble convincing people to 
save 4%, and suddenly out there, this anchoring point is 50%, you're going to now be able to start moving that up and to start talking about reasonable savings goals being 10, 15, 20, 25, and your clients, all of their financial pictures are going to become so much better. Uh, it's just, it gives you a way to communicate something that maybe historically has just felt like boring academia and give them the tools to immediately see a benefit in their life. Huh. That's a really interesting thought that I've never thought of. So financial planners, obviously, we don't love the assets under management percentage that people are paying. But the reality is people are paying that and they're looking for advice. Financial planners are going to do well if their clients are saving 20, 40, 60 percent of their income as opposed to one, two, five. So that's actually a funny rethink on something that, while in our perfect world, Jonathan, obviously, we would love for people to not pay assets under management. But when you look at an industry, how are they going to succeed? They're going to succeed if their clients are saving 50%. So that's a really funny way to look at it, but it's so true. But it's not all going to be positive for the financial planning industry. This level of exposure that's going to come along with this, as you just pointed, we're not a huge fan of assets under management, especially the incredibly exorbitant ones. There is a reason that the financial planning industry generally feels like they're on the defensive and has a black eye right now, because that is because there are so many sharks in the water. I and mean, this is, we have had conversations with financial planners saying the state of our own industry in many cases is very discouraging knowing who you can talk to someone that's actually acting with a sole fiduciary responsibility. And then it seems like currently even legislation seems to be pushing back against that to kind of remove that requirement. So what, what I wanted to get across with this is that in a good way, depending on your perspective, it is going to be more difficult to charge incredibly high exorbitant assets under management fees that do not compete with the market. That's one. Your clients are going to be more aware of what these fees are actually costing them. The other point that's tied to that is if you are in the in, if you are selling high commission products that really are not in your client's best interest, if your structure charges massive front loads on these fees and then forces churn in order to create, generate additional income. And then on top of that has assets under managed fee attached to that as well. As this grows, it's going to be increasingly difficult to justify that. Yeah. The jig is up, right? It's a pretty, pretty succinct way of saying it. Yeah, you're right. They're not going to be able to get away with this nonsense anymore because people are educated. And this is not to say that financial planners don't provide value. They certainly do. But man, to tie it to your assets and to tie it to all of these, like you said, front-loaded commissions and all this other stuff that just destroys your ability to compound your net worth over 30 to 50 years, that is the needless kind of thing. And anything that education and certainly the FI community can do to help that and to help really erase those things from existing, all the better. So yeah, absolutely love that. And actually, Brad, you know, what's interesting about that, I, I was just thinking in terms of the industry financial planning, you know, the longer we are doing what we are doing, the more aware we become of just the, these models. How does this actually work? And I'm thinking about my teenage self, and I'm curious for you, if someone told you that they were a insurance agent or a stockbroker or a planner, a financial planner, would you have understood at that particular point in time how they actually made their money? <laughs> As a teenager? No, there's no way. I mean, I would have just off the top of my head, assume that they had some great knowledge of the financial markets and they made money buying and selling stocks. That would have been what I would have thought. Yeah. And I mean, I'm wondering like your 25 year old, your 27 year old, and for our audience, people that have had planners for years, they have a guy or gal. Do they understand how the person that is representing, helping them with this aspect of their financial life, do they understand how that individual makes money? 
Because the way that this, you know, you talk about assets under management, that was a totally unfamiliar concept to me. I mean, I, certainly as recently as a decade ago, but maybe honestly, even, even more recent than that. I, I know there are so many people that have planners and have never sent them a check ever. They've never had to pay them anything. And it's like, well, this guy's just doing me a huge favor. <laughs> he just wants to see me succeed. And, and maybe that is the case, but still to not know how that person is getting paid. It's important. I think it's probably worth a conversation, right? Yeah, I agree. So if there are two basic ways that it happens, like at its most simple level, when you have a planner, there's two models that I see, and then there's a hybrid of the two. Some planners get paid for what's called assets under management. You have a certain amount of investments with them. And then because they hold that and they manage that money for you, they make a percentage off the top. Uh, That percentage may be as low as 0.5%, 0.25% 0.5%, 0.25% and can go as high. Well, I would say it goes high in the United <laughs> States as two or 3% and certain parts of the world. I've heard that it goes as high as 7%. Oh so goodness. yeah, uh, it becomes, it goes to outright blatant crime. Uh, but if you think about that in the context of the fees matter, which episode, I believe Brad, that was episode three of our podcast and yeah. it's been hit almost ad nauseum episode 19 that we did with JL Collins you know, the market has to outperform those fees in order to justify it. And your advisor that's working with you just says, well, I don't charge you anything up front. I just make money when you make money. And I just charge you a, I don't know, 2% assets under management fee. To understand what that means, well, it's just 2%. That means that I'm keeping 98%, but it's 2% every single year. It's 2% regardless of the market goes up or down. And that 2%, if all things being equal, you were to make an extra 2% on your money, Brad, that can take off probably close to 25% of your portfolio by the time that you've reached the end of that investing timeline. I think it's worth coming back and illustrating how important it is to understand how fees work and what it's actually costing you. Just so if you are going to go into a situation where you have an assets under management situation, you're going in eyes wide open. Yeah, agreed. And and I just very quickly mocked up two scenarios here on a compound interest calculator online and Basically, what I set up here was it's a 40-year investing timeline, which is a number that we kind of use generally because we want to foster that long-term mindset. This is not about three years or five years. It's about 30, 40, 50 years. So I set up 40 years. At the beginning, you're starting with $100,000, and I'm saying that you're going to save roughly $10,000 annually, okay? That's a fairly reasonable reasonable number for someone in the FI community. So I, I split that up monthly. And I said, in my first scenario, we're expecting an 8% annual return. All right, that's just a rough number that we use based on historical averages, but it is just a guess, obviously, but that is the number we use. So that person at the end of 40 years is gonna have nearly $5 million, okay? So this is no fees, no assets under management, nothing they're gonna have $4.97 million, all right? Now, if we just assume, and Jonathan, you use that 2% example, so I lowered the annual return from 8% to 6%. Everything else stays the same. It's a 40-year investing timeline, 100K and $10,000 per year, but invested monthly, of course. They are gonna have, at the end of that 40 years, 2.67 million. So it's almost half that you lose over 40 years. I think it's 53% is what you have. So you lose 46 plus percent of your total net worth after 40 years with that seemingly innocuous, oh, it's only 2%. It makes a huge difference. That illustrates the power of 
how much small differences in this return actually matters, especially when compounded over decades. Time matters and fees matter. So that is as stark an example as you can get. And those are real numbers, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So if you hear the counterpoint to that, well, if you're working with me, I'm going to make you far in excess of whatever you would get if you were just trying to keep up with the market. That would be the one, you know, I'm just, as you work through kind of the logic of this. And so, you know, one questionable, there's been many bets that have been run uh, the most famously with Warren Buffett versus the hedge fund managers where Warren Buffett says, I'm going to just bank on what the index does. And the best of the best hedge fund managers just failed miserably to even come close to competing with this market, you know, over a period of time with fees included, that was a big part of this. So that's one, do you think your person is going to be the one that is able to outperform the index? And then in order to do that, what decisions do you think that they are going to make? So for instance, are they going to be moving in and out of the market, generating additional taxable events? What, what decisions are your individual going to have to make to show off their brilliance and do stuff that isn't in the market? And, and then the final piece of this that I think, and it's valid, is that, well, by having a planner, there's someone that can talk you off the ledge when the market drops by 20%, when the market has, and as a reasonable advice, I do wonder if you're preparing this mindset ahead of time if that is something that is worth 20, 30, $40,000 a year, you know, it, for instance, Brad, let's just, how much does my advisor make? Well, if you have $10,000 invested with that advisor, they accept that small of an amount to be an assets under management advisor for you. And they make 2% of that. How much are they yeah, making? 200 bucks. All right. So do 200 bucks a year and they're working with you. But most advisors that use an assets under management involved have a minimum amount that you need to have invested with them because their model is based on assets under management. So Brad, that same individual has $2 million worth of assets and they charge 2% assets under management. How much is that advisor making a year? Yeah, that's $40,000. All right. So they're making $40,000 a year that that $40,000 cannot be working on your behalf while it's investing and in, in compounding year over year. That is not working for you, but you get a Christmas card. <laughs> all right. But advisors do a lot more than that. I mean, this is not a slam on all advisors. Many advisors also act, they, they manage your financial life. They help mirror your and your spouse's goals. They help you with estate planning. There's plenty of other tertiary benefits. The other business model that we didn't talk about is a fee for service financial planner. There are many good ones out there. And then there's also a blend of the two where maybe there is a fee for service with an optional assets under management model. Typically with those, I would think you would, I would imagine that you would see a lower assets under management fee. So what was interesting about this conversation is that while we are not dogmatically saying that you can never use, and we would never recommend an assets under management advisor, I recognize that there are both many managers in our community that have assets under management models that they still continue to feel comfortable with. And there's many people in our community that even though they are aware of this math, still feel like they're getting significant value from those managers. But I think for our audience listening to this, again, go in eyes wide open. You should not be wondering how your financial planner is making money off you. You should understand what those incentives are and how it works. And then with that in mind, then keep in mind the benefits that you are getting. And if it mirrors up, then I feel like we have successfully achieved what we wanted to achieve with this segment. And Brad, one side of a good financial advisor is one that actually encourages you to ask questions and then teaches you what, if they can impart their knowledge onto you and then you still want them to run that level of service for you. I was, we recently saw some feedback from someone in our community. They said, my financial advisor actually told me that I didn't need him anymore. I had graduated past anything that he could offer and he encouraged me to go and take my funds and move it to a Vanguard index fund. Like mm -hmm. that, I saw, I was blown away. 
that's probably a keeper. <laughs> uh, you know, at its heart, once you get this on autopilot, this is kind of a boring game. You just need to just keep doing what you're doing. These numbers work over intermediate periods of time, but the key is not to do anything crazy. It's to set your goals on autopilot. And then if the market dips, don't run screaming. The plan didn't fail. Rather, the market is on sale. Lean into it. All right, Brad. Well, let's go ahead and shift gears here for a second. I'd love to spend a few minutes talking about this episode with Nick True from Mapped Out Money. What I loved about his story is in many ways, I feel like it resembles aspects of my own life in that I feel like he has designed a future for him and his spouse. And he did that without feeling like he needed to hit 25 times his annual expenses. He has not reached financial independence, but he had employees, fellow employees that have been working in that same job for 25 or 30 years that was waiting, waiting until something, waiting until permission from society, waiting until work, let them go, waiting until that were just sitting on those dreams. He's an engineer. He reverse engineered it. How can I design that life now? Yeah, this was impressive. And like I said, at the outset of the episode, they just did it. Even though they weren't even close to Phi, they just did it. And that's really impressive. I, I love this quote. He said, it seems weird that we did it. But we just basically looked at what was going on in the world and said, hey, look, it's 2017, 2018. There's this thing called the internet <laughs> and we could figure out a way to work remotely. And then we could go travel and do some of these things now before we have kids and before we really get ourselves into a situation where traveling full time would be extremely difficult. And just what a cool way of looking at life. I mean, they, they took a step back and they figured out what were their priorities. And even down to the micro of, the Airstream, like he had down to, we wanted to pull this instead of live in it because it would, if one thing breaks down, et cetera, et cetera, like just the level of thought, like having the cats and the dogs. I mean, that was a priority. So therefore that changes how you can travel. I think it's essential in life to look at what do you value? What do you prioritize? And how do you move forward based on, on that information? But especially when a significant other is involved, communication. I mean, how many times have we talked about this? It's, there's one spouse who's gung-ho about Phi and the other who doesn't really know about it or feels a little hesitant or on the defensive, even worse. Almost invariably, our answer is have a discussion, get on the same page. And this even goes back to Nick talking about the honeymoon, that he basically destroyed his honeymoon because of the mentality with which he approached it. And it was because there wasn't that conversation. And I think over the intervening years, though albeit short years since he's only 25, right? But over the intervening years, they have gotten on the same page and that's taken a lot of time. He said they struggled in those first years to communicate, but clearly they're on the same page now. And what a great place to move forward with a life. Absolutely. And we asked him, what do you think it was that allowed you to have this conversation with us today? Like what really set you up for it? He said, without a doubt, unequivocally, it was the fact that I did not come out of school with, with student loan debt. I was not fighting the headwind of massive student loan debt burden. And so obviously when you drill down on that, well, how did you do that? And at first, like when as you were starting to answer, I filled in the blank for him and I and in my mind, I was like, well, my parents paid for it. That's what, you know, he's, I was very blessed, came from family and I was thinking he was gonna say my parents paid for it. 
which isn't necessarily yeah. replicable <laughs> for many of us. But that's not what he said. He said, they gave me a mindset. They instilled in me values that I knew that I needed to work hard if I wanted it. And there was some small amount of funding involved, but he said it was going to be on me. So scholarships, I mean, we got to talk about this. We've seen this theme. This is not a new idea. I've heard other people represent this, but he did a great job packaging it together. And I took pretty extensive notes, you know, as I was listening, cause I was like, this is going to be an episode that you're going to want to refer friend, a family member, a child to listen to, because there is a lot here. So as I look through the game plan of what he did, it didn't start with college, started with high school, get good grades. <laughs> All right. Well, what do good grades mean? We were talking to Brian Ufinger about like, what do good grades mean now? I thought it honestly, Brad, I thought a three, five, I got a three, five <laughs> and you just laughed at me. Yeah, I remember. You're so cute. That, that wasn't <laughs> impressive in like 1999. But. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was better. I think you were using your kids grades now like <laughs> inflated hyperinflation grade world, but even still, he said a 4.0, he had a 4.0 GPA. I would imagine a three, eight, three, nine is probably kind of in that same place, but he worked his tail off and he got a very high GPA. Okay, great. From there, step two. He looked for a low-cost in-state school. Now, this is something that we've heard about, you know, and Brian references as well. And you did this also to a varying degree, although your economics didn't work out quite as well as Nick's. You could go be a small fish in a big pond, find an Ivy League, the best Ivy League school that you could get into, or you could look for a school that has great academics and has a low cost, a relatively low cost in-state school where your GPA would shine any higher. Now, I don't know how to do this math even still, but Brian Ufinger, who we could have on the show in a future segment, gave us some tips. And I believe, Brad, check me on this, episode 114 of our podcast, and I'll keep going while you can refer back to that, on how you could identify schools that their GPA requirements weren't as stringent. And in it's not it's not... You are not competing with every other single person in the country. You're competing with the kids at your actual school. So if that is the case, then looking at the GPAs and targeting those GPAs is a real thing. And so Brad, you know, when you look at what he did, he went to that low cost in-state school because he had the grades, because in this body of students, his grades excelled, he was able to get into the honors program and was able to get a full ride in the STEM field. And really, he didn't even stop there. Yeah, no, he certainly didn't. He said... Every single year, he applied for 20 to 30 scholarships, just outside scholarships. This is a guy who, like you said, he already had a full ride. How many people who already were driven up to get a full ride, how many of those would go further than that? I suspect most people would just say, ah, that's good. I'm, I'm pretty solid with that. But not Nick. He went for 20 to 30 additional scholarships per year. And as he said, we worked our absolute faces off. What a cool phrase. And while he was talking about high school there, I think it applies to college and it applies to this methodology with which he approached these scholarships. He said that he applied for one. Three years in a row, they said, nah, we're not really interested. He got nothing, not $1. And in his fourth year, I think he won the national first place of this and got $15,000. A lesson that sticks out to me is stick with something. Right? I mean, how many people give up in just the first little face of adversity? Just about everybody. But in this case, not Nick. I have to be honest and say, even if everything else were the same about me and Nick, even if somehow I got a full ride, all this stuff, if I got denied for a scholarship three years in a row, I think if I'm being honest, there's close to a 0% chance that I would have applied for it the fourth year. But again, not only did Nick apply for it, but he got the thing at the national level. That is just crazy talk, as I would say. That's amazing. It is amazing. And one of the things that Nick did, which reminded me of something that Cody Berman talked about in episode 83, was 
that he realized that there was a story bank. And it sounds a little mercenary, but I think all of us intellectually know that it's true. People that write scholarship questions are looking for specific answers. <laughs> and there's only so much creativity that you can put when you're designing a question that's going to be answered by hundreds and hundreds of students. There will be some overlap. So Nick said, once I realize that there's a story bank and there's only so many ways they can ask the same question, I need to figure out how to tell a better story about myself. And quite literally, after the year one, he knew it didn't work. After year two, he iterated. And by the third and fourth year, he was able, as you said, to get top honors for that. He went to college for profit. For profit, he graduated after receiving over $30,000 in student loans and didn't stop there because his wife leveraged the profit that he earned to pay for the other half of grad school, not the entire amount of grad school because, you know what I know why? Because she was looking at the problem a little differently and she got that assistantship while an undergrad that carried over into grad that paid for the other half. Yeah, Jonathan, this stuck out to me both what his wife did, but what he did as well. He said that she got in with these professors. And then just like human nature, who is going to get the assistantship? It's not going to be some random person off the street. It's going to be the person that they have a relationship with, that they know, they trust, they like. They've seen that person do work. This is how the world works. It just is. And he said one of the most influential books in his life was How to Win Friends and Influence People. I feel like that book title is sounds almost a bit spammy, right? The influence people, but- I think the word influencer kind of has a dirty connotation yeah, these days. No, it it's not It's not Dale Carnegie's fault. No. <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I think like Nick said, it's have a genuine interest in others. And I mean, we've talked about this so many times on the show. I know it has changed my life from just being somebody who maybe at a self-limiting or limiting belief has always referred to himself as introverted to just- being genuinely curious about other people and forming these deep relationships that maybe I didn't have in the earlier part of my life. And, and I mean, he said he would go to office hours of the professors and he would show interest in them, which would be reciprocated, right? They would turn the tables and they'd show interest in him. That's just the way the world works. And again, that helped him dramatically. It helped his wife dramatically. And I mean, what a path to come out of college with this positive net worth and then help be able to pay off this remainder of graduate school for his wife. You know, Brad, I had this idea probably a year ago uh, when we were first starting to collate ideas for scholarships and things that people had done, kind of like almost like a playbook for college. Just think about the problem a little bit differently. And to be honest with you, although we were getting the voicemails, we didn't really have the infrastructure or the resources to really figure out how, what to do with that information. So I want to do two things for the, it's a 2020 goal. One is I want to encourage listeners really just raise the flag here. If you have a college story, you have a hack or a technique or, or a scholarship that you applied for that you just haven't heard us talk about, you haven't heard anybody else talk about, would you please let us know about it either by a voicemail, which you can find at chooseify.com slash voicemail, or by telling us your story, chooseify.com slash story. You can write it in if you prefer that way as well. Send it to us. For the year 2020, I want to create some resources to put all of these together. And just to show you what's already been talked about, to show you how powerful this is, just this past week with Sonny Burns talking about the DOD Smart Scholarship for STEM fields, Nick talking about this particular honors program where he was able to get a full ride and his playbook for doing scholarships. If you were to talk about the caddy program that- uh, yeah, Noah and Becky from Money Metagame. And then we had listeners call in telling us about firefighter scholarships. I mean, just there have been probably 15 or 16 of these types of programs that I had never heard of before that have been highlighted on the show. 
I want to take that 15 and turn it into 100. And I want to take that 100 and organize it in a way that you could hand this to your kid and give it to them so that our community starts thinking about going to school for profit and having a playbook that doesn't start when there's $60,000 in student loan debt, but is given to them in high school as we're going to work on this together as a family. I think we can do this. And student loan, that student loan debt burden doesn't have to be the story. You're lost decade. You can start right out the gate, really land, have that, have that soft landing to build this future for yourself. It's, it would be pretty exciting to see that come together. Yeah, I love it. I mean, just to have that repository, that's what we've talked about since the very first is crowdsourcing information. Everybody has this little bit of info that can be life-changing, but it's in the silo of their own life. Now we have a way to share this. So yeah, I love that. Chooseavi.com slash voicemail or slash story. Some of us are writers. Some of us are talkers. (laughs) (laughs) Pick your own adventure here. It's totally fine. Actually, I have a pretty cool announcement here. Uh, As you guys know, earlier this year, we uh, welcomed Zach to the show and he was taking on the role of showrunner, really helping us figure out what this could actually be just because the sheer amount of information that we were being presented with was just overwhelming. How do we find guests that have an interesting story, have something to add back to the community uh, with over 200,000 comments a month in the Facebook group and emails and voicemails? How do we sift through that and really find a way to give as much value back to the audience for the show as possible? And he really helped us create a pretty awesome playbook for that. Uh, but Zach is actually going to be helping us now with video production. Him and Andrew are taking on video production for Choose FI. And we are now rolling out a Chooseify video podcast, which will have a video version of the show twice a week on Mondays and Fridays. If you're interested in that and you didn't know we had it, uh, it's on YouTube currently, and you can find it at choosefi.tv. By the way, while you're there, please take a second and subscribe. We would love for you to join us and be a part of that. I mean, it's really a cool way that we'll be able to add additional details and flavor to the podcast when we're able to run these case studies like Brad did earlier in the show. We'll be able to have that and show you guys the math that we're operating with. When we talk about a resource or an article, we'll be able to add that so you guys have that information right there in front of you. It'll just The plan is just to make it a more comprehensive experience so that you really can see kind of you can interact with the same content that we are interacting with. But that departure from showrunner to video has left has left a void in our lives. A gaping hole. Gaping hole. No, dramatic much, Brad? <laughs> uh, but we have actually been working with MK uh, also for the past year. And MK, who we actually interviewed in episode 85, and the title of the episode was From Passion to Profit. We talked about her own path to financial independence for her and her husband, Jason, and specifically how she got into self-publishing and how she published, I believe at that time, three books, her third book was being released. She has effectively reached financial independence and she left working for corporate America. And we asked her, (laughs) hope you enjoyed that two weeks of retirement. (laughs) Would you like to come work with us here at Choose FI? And I am so excited that she said yes. And I have a whole bunch of announcements around that. But before I do so, Let me go ahead and welcome MK to the podcast. Hey guys, happy to be here. So MK is going to be joining us and taking on the role of our head of Chooseify Publishing. And I guess I I would like to kind of roll this out, but we made a very intentional decision to self-publish our book, Chooseify, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. MK, I'm just curious, like what your perspective as someone that has been self-publishing their own books for the past three years, where do you think that Chooseify Publishing can fit into this and what do you think it can be? 
So I was really excited about the concept for Chooseify Publishing, and I think this is going to be huge for the community to be able to highlight not only the stories in a leisure reading novel, but instructional workbooks, books that can help people really get to the nitty gritty of how to help on their financial journey. So whether they're looking for inspiration or mindset or stories that they can look up to or actual technical knowledge, I think we can really help so many people that are currently in the community and that people who three years, five years, 10 years from now are looking for this information, they'll be able to find it. And I think that's going to be really great to be able to continue to help people. So Jonathan just mentioned you as our head of publishing, but also is alluding to you being the showrunner as well. So this is really an end to a very short retirement, huh? <laughs> Absolutely. Why be at rest when you could be super busy? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, for, for context there, the showrunner role in my mind ties you to the heartbeat of this community. I mean, you are someone that is looking at everything that is coming on our radar and figuring out how to organize that and put it back into the show in some capacity so it can serve others that are listening afterwards. It's a massive, massive role and responsibility. And frankly, I don't even think we truly understand like what it is what it will be yet, but I just, I'm so excited about how the energy with which you've taken this on. And I think today, you know, we'll, we'll have a full on episode talking about choose if I publishing in the future. Um, but I didn't want to leave that out, but I think for today, what I want to do with the remainder of this episode is really just kind of give you the floor and let you highlight feedback, comments, and questions from the community. You ready for this? Absolutely. All right. What do you got for us first? Okay, well, first up, going back to the discussion that you were just having about the scholarships and ways to hack college, save on college, avoid student debt, we had a really great voicemail come in from Liz, and she shared some three really great tips to really help lower that college cost burden. And so she talks about dual enrollment, club testing, and even being a fifth-year senior, which sounded a little interesting. So definitely want to give this one a listen. Hi, Brad and Jonathan. My name is Liz, and I've been listening to the podcast since October, and I've really loved it. This year, my husband and I are working on achieving a 50% savings rate. But I was leaving a voicemail because I listened to your episode on Monday with Angela from Tread Lightly and found the portion about college hacking really interesting. My family over the years has learned a lot when it comes to college hacking. I'm the oldest of seven kids and my mom has optimized this process for our family. So I just wanted to give three quick hacks that my family has utilized over the years and my mom is still utilizing with some of my younger siblings. So we were homeschooled and the first hack that my mom utilized was dual enrollment. And that's where you're a high school student and you take classes at a local college or university. And those classes count for both high school and college credit. Now, it's a little bit easier when you're a homeschooled student. However, I definitely had friends in the public school system growing up who also dual enrolled as well. So I know it's possible. But the beauty of this is you get a head start on college, number one. Number two, it's cheaper. The university that I went to, their price per credit hour for high school students was a third of the price than if you were a a traditional college student. And then third, if you live in a state that has the lottery scholarship, you can utilize those funds. So it's a great way to get a head start on college. 
The second hack that my mom is utilizing now with my siblings that I didn't get to take advantage of, but my siblings are now, is doing a fifth year senior. So that's where you stay in high school an extra year. But during that year, my mom is having my siblings do all college classes. So they're doing college classes that are a third of the price per credit hour that the lottery scholarship is paying a good portion of. And they are going to enter into college and really only need two to two and a half years left of of classes when they graduate high school. And they're doing it at just a fraction of the the cost. I know that homeschooling is becoming more popular among the five community because of the flexibility that it offers. So even if you want to go live in Ecuador so your kids can learn Spanish for six months, your high school student can actually take dual enrollment classes through a university or community college and do it online, which is just fantastic. And then the third college hack that my family has utilized that I was able to take advantage of is CLEP testing, C-L-E-P. And that's where you just study on your own and you take a test and you get college credit. And I don't even remember how much the test is. It might be like $75 or $100, but it's so much cheaper than paying for the college class. And it's just a fraction of the time. I wish I had done it more in college, but I know that I I was able to clep out of a math class as well as a science class. So because of my dual enrollment in high school and these CLEP tests, I was able to get through college in three years instead of four. There were other things I did along the way, but those are the three biggest things that have made an impact in my family's life in keeping the cost of college down. And I just wanted to share it with the community. Thanks. Okay, MK, we need more of those types of voicemails. (laughs) I'll get right on it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Oh man, Brad, there was so much there, right? Uh, I think, again, if we were going to be able to put together a playbook for just honestly, this is just as a free resource. I mean, this is just for people in the community, a playbook of these types of information. You're asking, what can I do while I am still in high school before I get to college? What can I do? Depending on what you, we talked about how Nick crushed the, the scholarships. This had nothing to do with scholarships. This has to do with readily available programs that are out there. If you know what questions to ask and, and I'll actually be honest with you. My first thought was, does my local school, does my local area here in Richmond, Virginia, do they have programs like dual enrollment, like whatever, but what at the heart of what she said was, this is a location independent play. I mean, if you're homeschooled, you can be anywhere, right? And she was saying how homeschooling is growing in popularity, even in the financial independence community, because people that have got location independence for themselves then quickly realize that they are tethered to the academic school year. <laughs> and, and I know in our case, Ed, uh, who we've mentioned many times, him and his family, they are huge proponents of homeschooling. And they did that in large part as a lifestyle play that would allow them to have the flexibility that they really wanted. Yeah. I mean, this type of information is invaluable. I know we're always saying like, don't beat yourself up about past mistakes, but darn, do I wish I knew this when I was 16. I mean, what a difference it would have made. I mean, jokes aside, what's really essential is that people can hear this information and build a framework for at least how to approach college. My girls might do some or all of this, but even just knowing that it exists gets them so far ahead of the game. It's it's not even close, like CLEP testing or getting a third of the price of a credit just by knowing that information. Okay, you mean I can just change the timing of this and get a third of the price? That's a no-brainer when you are presented with it and you know it exists. So yeah, a huge thanks to Liz for calling this in. MK, we talked about Chooseify the book, Your Blueprint to Financial Independence. 
uh, I would be curious, like just for our audience that's listening to this, that wants to know more, can you provide the release date for that? And then also, I know there is already one book tour stop plan details on that as well. Absolutely. So the book is available for pre-order now, anywhere that you can buy a book. Uh, you can pre-order this book right now. You can just go to chooseify.com slash book. The book will be released on October 1st. So if you've already pre-ordered it, it will show up in your e-reader first thing October 1st when you wake up, or it will be delivered to your door uh, based on whatever shipping you paid for. Uh, if you do pre-order and you send in your proof of purchase, you can be part of an exclusive Q&A we're doing with all three authors. So that is Brad, Jonathan, and Chris. So that would be really exciting chance to get behind the scenes, behind the chapters, look at how the book was put together. And we do have a book tour that we are planning. It will be a limited book tour. The first stop will be in Salt Lake City, close to where Chris lives. And that will be Saturday, October 12th at the Sugar House Barnes & Noble in Salt Lake City at 2 p.m. Nice. And I will say that when you set up these book tours, I know recently um, some one of our local admins went into a bookstore in their area and was asking them whether or not they could do a stop at that bookstore. And the bookstore said... Well, typically for personal finance books, we just don't really see great levels of attendance and we don't know if it's really worth our time to do this. And the local admin's response to us in the admin group was, well, they just don't know about our local group. <laughs> they, don't, they have no context for this. So, you know, it'd be pretty cool if when we do have these local stops and they won't be one in every city, but it would be pretty cool that for all the book tours that we are actually able to do and put together, it would be a pretty awesome event to coordinate it around one of the local groups. I know we would absolutely appreciate your support. And I think for that Salt Lake City one, that one will be a lot of fun. So one of our goals with the Friday Roundup is just to acknowledge wins inside the community, but people winning at life, people making decisions that are acting as a forcing function for a life that they can get excited about. Whenever possible, we just want to give shout outs back to the community. So first, MK, we have this shout out that we want to give to Allison. She paid off her mortgage. Yep. She posted a screenshot with her personal information covered that her mortgage is at zero. It is paid off. It was very exciting to see. Congratulations, Allison. Wow. 2,400 likes on our Facebook group for that. That is amazing. Are you serious? That's crazy. Can you imagine the level of memes that were being dropped on that comment? <laughs> if a meme happens... Or GIFs, right? Is, is it a GIF, yeah. MK? Or how do you say it's it? technically GIF, but is I don't really? acknowledge that pronunciation. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, no. Next, MK, I think we have a shout out to Autumn's son. Absolutely. So Autumn said, my son is in seventh grade in math. They were going over assets, liabilities, net worth, etc. He knew all the answers. All the other kids said, how do you know all this? His response, I'm involved in my parents' conversations. Well, of <laughs> Way to go, Autumn's son. <laughs> That's amazing, uh, Brad. That is so cool. Of course he's involved in the parents' conversations. They're members of the FI community. That is awesome. Seventh grader. Could you imagine knowing about assets, liabilities, net worth? And that's like an accounting class in seventh grade. That's crazy. Uh, frugal win of the week. MK, what do we got? So Jason said that his frugal win of the week, FWOTW, was I adjusted my W-4 for the first time since joining my current employer five years ago. Over the past five years, we've seen the birth of my son and passing of a new tax bill. Through this simple act, I've just found an extra $260 per month that's been hiding in my paychecks for years. Wow. I hope that found has quote unquote around it. That's incredible. I hope, I wonder what he is going to be doing with this newfound difference. <laughs> and well, according to Facebook, he is doing a very happy dance with this GIF that he posted of Ace Ventura and the tutu. I'm glad that we could clarify the pronunciation. <laughs> yeah. 
That's great. So in this case for Jason, this is now, instead of getting this back as a big tax refund at the end, he's getting it every single month and it's his money, right? He's not giving an interest-free loan to the government or his state. He's getting it every single month and he can start investing it. So yeah, I love that. MK, thank you so much for joining us on the show today. And we're so excited that you will be here on the Friday Roundup going forward. Thanks, guys. Can't wait to bring more positive stories to you guys next week. All right, guys. Well, unfortunately, that's going to bring this episode to a close. Now, as you know, we like to finish every episode by doing a drawing for a copy of a book that we have found useful. There's three books that we offer. The first is J.L. Collins' book, The Simple Path to Wealth. The second is Dominic Cortuccio's book, Design Your Future. And the third book from Vincent Puglisi, Freelance to Freedom. If you want to enter the drawing, all you need to do is just go to chooseify.com slash iTunes, follow the instructions there, leave us a short written review, send us an email to feedback at chooseify.com, letting us know that you left a review and what screen name you left it under. We give away one book for every five written reviews that we get, and we announce a winner on the Friday Roundup. Brad, how many winners do we have today? All right, Jonathan, we have one winner today, and the winner is Tony. And Tony left this on Stitcher and called Chooseify a great motivator. I started listening about a month ago, have listened to 40 or so episodes, great content, and love the way Brad and Jonathan approach interviewing their guests. Not being the most disciplined person, I love hearing the hacks they discuss and the motivation it provides me. I also have my high school kids listen to some of the relevant material as well. Thanks. All right, my friends, the fire is spreading. We'll see you next time as we continue to go down the road less traveled. You've been listening to Choose FI Radio Podcast, where we help middle-class America build wealth one life hack at a time.